Hello, I'm James Fitzsimons, and welcome to The Career Scoop, a podcast all about career progression, advice, and experiences aimed at assisting those who are in career transition. Today, my guest is Colin Judge. Colin is someone who has spent his life constantly defying the odds. Despite being born with no legs and one arm, Colin is now a Paralympic table tennis player, motivational speaker, and actuarial analyst. The teenage Colin struggled to come to terms with disability, but once he found table tennis, everything changed. He started to accept himself for who he was and began to excel in all areas of his life. He made his international debut four years later while studying for his leaving certificate. Colin is the current European champion, six times Irish national champion, and has won numerous international titles around the world. His next big goal is to qualify for Tokyo 2021. Colin, I'm delighted to welcome you to the show. Hi, James. Thanks very much for having me. First of all, uh, the first question I have to ask you, I saw you on the Late Late Show last Friday night. It was great to see you there. You're obviously a superstar now. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And did you get Ryan's autograph? (laughs) Uh, Yes, James. Yeah, I was uh, very surprised to have been asked to be on the Late Late Show last week. Um, Very grateful for the opportunity. Really enjoyed the experience. Um, I was a little bit nervous, I suppose, uh, at first. It was a bit of a long wait, I suppose, in a normal world. We'd be chilling in the green room for an hour or two beforehand and, you know, maybe having a few settlers. But, but uh, there was none of that this time. And uh, so I was waiting in the changing room with my dad and I was thinking through every single eventuality. But when I got out there, I, I think I enjoyed it. It came across quite well. And, you know, I'm very happy that uh, me and my teammates from the Paralympic team got a little bit of exposure. Uh, that, that, that's great. And tell, bring us an update where you are on your journey to Tokyo. Yeah, so at the moment, uh, things are obviously still a little bit up in the air, but uh, I have a qualification tournament in June, uh, 3rd of June, which I'm hoping goes ahead. And so that competition, I'll hopefully seal my place for Tokyo 2021. There's also five wild cards. Um, so they're kind of random selections after that tournament. So I'm two places off at the minute and there's six places left. So I'd like to think my chances are still pretty good. Um, but then, yeah, we would be leaving in July. So it's a very quick turnaround. And I suppose it's a long wait until June. Um, but the Paralympics start mid-August. And yeah, it's, it's my dream to, to be there. That's all I've been thinking about really for the last 18 months. So uh, yeah, I really hope that I get my opportunity on the big stage. And what people might know is that you're you're trained actually you worked with kpmg you took sabbatical out and you're now a professional athlete but you may bring the listeners back just to who you are who's colin and and your journey to become a a para-athlete yeah an olympic champion hopefully (laughs) in the future i hope yes uh yeah so uh i was born with three missing limbs uh which was obviously uh i suppose uh, what I always say about my disability is I wasn't very uh, very aware of it in the beginning. And so I think the burden was placed on my parents uh, at the at the start. Uh, it was quite difficult for them to deal with. Um, but I think they did an incredible job uh, at setting me up in life and giving me a foundation. And I think that's really, really stood to me. Uh, there has been a lot of difficult times along the way. Uh, my teenage years in particular, I found it quite difficult to cope with my disability. I went to an able-bodied school, St. Michael's College, Ireland's premier rugby school, as I said on the, the late show. Uh, 
<laughs> Ryan didn't like it. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, look, my friends all started playing rugby. And I suppose at that stage, then I, I realized there was a lot of things that I couldn't do. And back then, I didn't have very much confidence in myself either, which, which made dealing with my disability uh, even more difficult. And so I knew that I needed to change something. And finding sport was probably the best way uh, that I had to, to deal with my disability. And so when I discovered table tennis, uh, I never looked back. Um, it was the first time in my life that I had a passion and a drive and something that made me realize that for all the things that I couldn't do, that there was a lot that I could do. And I think um, all the all the successes that I've uh, achieved in table tennis has definitely translated to other areas in my life, and I've never really looked back since then. Well, what do you mean? You're a European champion. You're six times national champion. What other accolades am I missing? How many countries, like in the last two years, how many countries have you travelled to? Oh yeah, that's a that's a good question. I've been all over the world, James, and it's it's been a, I've been very lucky, and it's. I wonder, table tennis has given me so many great opportunities. Um, I suppose just to take you back, it wasn't always easy in the beginning, uh, even though it was the only sport that I could beat my brother at. Uh, becoming a table tennis player wasn't so easy with one limb. Uh, I didn't really have a role model or anyone to look up to. And my peers passed me out very quickly, which was probably the most difficult thing that I had to deal with. I love table tennis and I worked so hard. And, and you see uh, kids that you're friends with that, aren't even that much into it and they're, they're beating you. It, it's, it's quite tough to take. And I think the first thing that I realized about table tennis was that I was going to have to work harder. You know, I was at a disadvantage and I needed to make up for it somehow. Um, but that hard work never scared me. And, you know, I kept, I kept pursuing my goals no matter what the, the obstacles that I encountered. Um, and yeah, look, I, I started to win medals then after a while. Uh, they were usually bronze, but, I was very grateful of them at the time. And yeah, then around 2016, I started to find a bit of form. I won my first two competitions. And three months later, I was preparing for my first European Championships. And uh, yeah, I remember taking that summer off, miss, missing the, the lads' holiday to EOS, which I was annoyed about at the time. Um, but I, I, tr I worked really hard and um, put everything into it. And uh, finally, I, I got my reward. Uh, the competition didn't go very well at the start i lost a match but i uh i pursued you know in, in the face of adversity i um i just kind of forgot about all the pressure that was uh was on my shoulders i uh my coach sat me down and i, I gave it my all and yeah the next thing i knew i was on the on the podium and uh listened to the irish national anthem and uh i knew then that all the hard work and sacrifices i'd made were worth it and that i'd do absolutely everything in my power to recreate the feeling that I felt that day. Wow, that that that's a great story. What can you share with people now who younger people now? You're only 25, Colin. Uh, not only 25. I think you're probably 50 in the sense of in in, in your in your 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 your, your resilience years. Um, what what would you say to people, your peers, a couple of years younger, who who are kind of pandemic is upsetting them? Uh, how might they reframe it in their mind to move forward? Because you, you, every day is a is a journey for you, I would presume. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think resilience is is a is a very important uh, thing to me. Uh, it's something that I've I've had to have from a very young age, um, and I think it's it's a word that's thrown around a lot these days. Um, so I suppose resilience, from my point of view, would be um, 
thriving in adversity, you know, ignoring the outside noise and uh, pursuing your goals or whatever that it is that you're trying to achieve, uh, no matter what the obstacles are. And there's been a lot of times in my life uh, where I've had to do that uh, from a young age, learning to get dressed. I often tell the story of how my mom left out the shirt and tie on my bed every morning and how I couldn't couldn't even dress myself uh, every morning for three years. But eventually, uh, having tr- having tried it and failed it about 500 times, I was finally able to do it. And uh, yeah, then later in life, uh, dealing with my disability in the teenage years uh, and finding sport, there's been a lot of difficult times along the way. But, you know, I've always tried to pursue my goals no matter who told me that it wasn't possible or no matter how many um failures that i had along the way i learned to um make failure my friend and uh pursue my dreams no matter what the what the chances of me achieving them were uh any time that i i failed at something i always learned and i failed a different way the next time and that's pretty much the way that i've lived my life and you know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but we're all on a journey and I'm hopeful that in the end uh, I'll get to where I want to go to. Wow. And can uh, I respectfully, can you tell me any funny failures? That funny failures. Uh, you know, uh, hmm. let me, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, my first international competition is a good example of a complete failure, you know, and I, this was back when I was 14 or 15 and I, I thought that I was a very good, good table dance player. You know, I could beat all the lads in St. Michael's at this stage, you know, and they were able to body. So I thought, you know, these, these wheelchair lads in France, they're not going to be much good, but uh, I was very wrong. Um, you know, at this stage I, I'd been to a few international camps and I, I'd met the Germans and the French and, you know, I didn't think they were all that great. I remember being very annoyed. They used to call me a tourist you know, because I was from Ireland and I had a funny technique. Um, but I was very desperate to, to prove them wrong at this competition. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a failure. As you said, I uh, I lost all my matches in style. And I remember uh, I've been finished on day two of the competition. And uh, my dad traveled with me because it was my first, com- uh, my first time away. And, uh, yeah, I think then the next day, we went to see the Eiffel Tower and the Champs Elysees. So the Germans were, were proved right that uh, I was a tourist for that tournament. That's for sure. But um, you know, it, like it was a failure. But as I said, I, I always learned, and uh, that competition was it was probably the one of one of the most important competitions that I went to. You know, it was the first time that I really felt motivated to become better. Um, it was the first time I'd seen guys with disabilities similar to myself playing a very, very high level, like a lot better than me. And then, you know, reflecting on the competition, I thought, you know, if, if they can do it, why can't I? I have no excuse. You know, I never had anyone to compare myself to, but now I did. I felt that, you know, their level was within my reach. And, you know, that's pretty much where my career took off after that. And so, yeah, it, was a f- <laughs> it wasn't funny at the time. It was funny looking back and it was a failure. But I definitely learned from it, and uh, the lessons that I learned have definitely stood to me today. Yeah, and so that's the that's the kind of a funny failure per se. And and I suppose did it teach you that I have the ability, but I just need to step up a little bit. I need to get my mind in the right place. I need to get practice technique because that's where these guys and girls are. That's they're just at a slightly a different level. 
Yeah, of course. You know, as I said, as I said to you there, um, you know, I thought that I was a brilliant table tennis player and I thought that I was working hard. But then when I heard, you know, the story, it wasn't just seeing them play. It was, you know, hearing what they had to say about themselves as well. I started learning, you know, how to practice properly, like playing for fun uh, during PE uh, for an hour in the week. is not really training, you know, Uh, focusing on different aspects of your game and doing that continuously again and again and again no matter how much uh, you don't like it. You know, I, I used to only play matches. I used to only really play for fun. And, you know, I thought that once once I was on the table hitting balls, that that was good enough. And I quickly learned that it wasn't. And so, yeah, I, I needed to step it up. Ireland's, her table tennis is obviously a minority sport in Ireland. And so there's not very much knowledge about table tennis. Um, and so it, it was when I traveled that I, I, that I really, that I learned the most. And uh, yeah, I, I I found no excuse for myself after that. Um, I was very determined to, you know, try and start training like like the guys did there. And I felt that if I did that, there'd be no reason why I couldn't get to their level. Because I did have a talent. I always knew that. And I, I had a good brain and I used everything that I've got. But I just, I wasn't prepared for that competition. And I knew that it's like what uh, Roy Keane used to say, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And I, I, I learned that. And okay. since then, I've always tried to prepare for everything in the best way possible. Okay. And, and you, went, you went to UCD and you studied actuarial science, I think. And then yep. you, you, you're on sabbatical from KPMG. So you're an actuary who's three to four years and now you're a professional athlete. Do you want to bring us through that transition from yeah. kind of yeah. in, in an office to not in an office? Yeah, an unusual one, I suppose. Um, well, firstly, I'd like to say that I'm I'm very lucky to have been given the opportunity to work for KPMG. Um, they've been hugely supportive of me, and I've I've made a lot of great friends while working there. Um, it was definitely a steep learning curve at times. <laughs> uh, there were certain periods that I was under a lot of pressure, and I was thrown in the deep end, and I was really struggling, to be honest. Um, but I always tried to pursue with that and I always uh, learned from it and I think that 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 foundation that they gave me um, will definitely stand to me um, in whatever path that I take after the uh, after the Paralympics and yeah I suppose uh, during 2018 um, I realized that you know working 50 60 hours a week and trying to study on top of that and play table tennis I was never going to reach my potential as an athlete. And at the end of the day, that was probably what was most important to me. And I could see uh, Tokyo 2020 on the horizon. Uh, I just missed Rio, the Rio Paralympic Games in 2016 by one place. And I felt that a big reason why I missed Rio was because I didn't commit, that I was kind of too engrossed in my studies in UCD. And, you know, I was I was trying to get a first and I didn't train as much as I could have. And I didn't attend comp- as much competitions as I should have. And I promised myself that I'd never make that mistake again. And, you know, f- I suppose from a young age, uh, table tennis has been more than a sport to me. And, you know, I've always felt that I owe it to myself and to the sport to give it absolutely everything. And, you know, I've, I've always made myself the promise that I, I would never re- uh, retire without throwing the kitchen sink at it without giving it absolutely everything. And so uh, with all that in mind, I, I made the tough decision and it was a very tough decision. I know a lot of my, my friends in KPMG slag me for taking the easy route and getting away from, uh, from the finance world, but it would have been much easier for me to stay in KPMG. I was getting 
a lot more comfortable than I than I was when I first started. I felt that I was getting getting better at actuarial, even though I'm sure there's some of them that would disagree. <laughs> uh, I was I was learning the ropes, um, and it was a really good job, and I was very happy there. But as I said, the most important thing to me was reaching my best level in table tennis, and so I made the decision. I went on sabbatical in April 2019. And I haven't looked back since then. I've no regrets. I haven't reached a lot of the goals that I've set out for myself, but I've I've traveled all along, uh, all around the world, um, from China, Germany, uh, America. I've been very lucky to travel to these countries and learn. And I feel I've come on a very long way. And yeah, I'm currently on the cusp of qualification for Tokyo 2021 now. It's obviously been postponed by a year. But I'm feeling better prepared than I ever would have been for Tokyo 2020. And yeah, I'm still working every day trying to make my dream a reality. Okay. And you're also developed a side a side job as a motivational speaker. And yes. Do you want to share a little bit about this, the companies you've worked for? And yeah. also just kind of the themes you've been talking about and some of them I think are, are very relevant to, to where we are as a community at the moment. Yeah, well, I suppose motivational speaking is something that I've always wanted to do um, because, as I said, when I first started playing table tennis, I didn't really have a role model or anybody to look up to. And I know that it would have made my life so much easier back then if I could have looked at somebody else with a disability and someone else achieving big things. And, you know, that would have given me the confidence to go out and do those things myself. But I never had that. And that's why in my teenage years that I really kind of – I hit rock bottom, I suppose, and I didn't really have too much hope for myself. And so I feel through the through the motivational speaking, uh, obviously, uh, I think my story, it can be applicable. You know, the lessons that I've learned, I suppose, they can be applicable to anyone. But I suppose um, the dis- disability and that sort of issue is, it's something that's very close to my heart. And, you know, if there's, there's one boy uh, with a disability that sees my story and is motivated and inspired by that i think it would mean the world to me and so i think that's the reason why i i do um motivational speaking is because you know i know what it's like to feel down um to not have any confidence in yourself and to not know what the best way forward is and it's one of my big goals in life is to share my story uh some of the obstacles that i've encountered and overcome and hopefully inspire people to be the best version of themselves Wow. And the so, companies, yeah. companies you've worked with? Companies, you? yes. Uh, well, I'm currently working uh, with Google. Uh, so they're, uh, they're a big uh, one at the moment. Uh, I have uh, another talk with them actually uh, two, in two hours' time. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm talking with them. Uh, I've obviously talked to Elevate. Uh, that, that's, that, that was probably one of my first talks and one of my most enjoyable ones. Uh, I've talked with Accenture, uh, Zendesk, um, Allianz. Um, I've talked to a number of different schools, St. Michael's College and Marion College. I've those two on Friday. Um, and yeah, I've, I've talked to a, a number of different junior schools as well before, before the coronavirus. But I'm very lucky um, to have had the opportunity to talk to those def- different companies. I really enjoy it. I'm still improving and kind of learning 
the best way to communicate my story. It's uh, it seems like an easy thing to do, and I thought that it would be, but it's actually quite difficult when it comes down to it. And you know, I still have a lot, lot a lot to learn, but uh, I'm really enjoying uh, those opportunities. And as I said, it's something that I've I've always wanted to do. Uh, what type of questions do you receive before, or you know, what what do people ask you? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are very interested in uh, in gratitude. It's something I always talk about, and it's I suppose it's it's I think gratitude is a hugely powerful emotion. Um, it outweighs all negative emotions, um, and what I mean by that is I think it's it's very different, uh, difficult to be angry and grateful, or sad and grateful, um, or jealous and grateful, and so. Uh, it's one of the most important habits that I've developed uh, in order to dis, uh, deal with my disability. And um, yeah, that's that's something I always talk about. So gratitude is a big one that people like to hear about. Um, resilience, which is one that I've already talked about. Um, making failure my friend, I suppose, which is uh, similar, similar to that. Um, obviously, sharing my story and some of the kind of practical examples that I've lived through. Um, and then, yeah, my kind of hopes and dreams for the future and setbacks and how I deal with them. I think they're the main uh, topics that I like to talk about. And I usually do a, a Q&A then at the end of most of my talks. And sometimes I get very difficult <laughs> questions uh, that I'm not really able for, but uh, I'm learning to you know, adapt to that and uh, try and prepare better. And yeah, it's uh, it's always very enjoyable. I like doing it. And, think that i'm or hope that i'm improving uh so yeah so so any any listeners out there who have companies or individuals who'd want uh colin to, to come and talk with them uh, what's the ww how uh, do they get in contact with you is my website i'm on instagram twitter facebook colin hotmail.com is my is my is my email address whatever way you want to uh get through to me i'd be uh i'd be very happy to talk that, 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 that's great it's just about gratitude can i bring you back to that yeah. it's, it's it's a word that's thrown around mm-hmm. and what I'd love to know, and we know each other a little bit, is to, you know, not every day can be a bright day for anyone. And also there's chemical imbalances in the body and stuff like that. And So how, what technique have you developed if you get up and you say, I, you know, I'm finding this difficult. Like you, you shared with me that you, you were in Shanghai. So how you get to Shanghai, how you navigate the airport, it's hard for me. And I'm not, you know, I don't have, 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 your disability in that sense. So how do you how do you how do you stop yourself and say, okay, I'm having a I'm going to have, I'm having a bad moment here. How do I pull myself back? Is there a technique, or I'm just to share with the listeners because that's probably the key on one level, and it's 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 uh, it must be very difficult or can be difficult to do. Yeah, it's a it's a very good question, and you know I think from a young age uh, since I started playing table tennis and uh, competing internationally, uh, I suppose I've been exposed to lots of different people from all walks of life. And, you know, when I uh, attended St. Michael's College, um, I kind of looked at the the other guys in my year and as if they had so much more than me, you know. Uh, They had two arms and two legs. They were running around and doing anything that they wanted. And, you know, I suppose... We're all very privileged going to St. Michael's, um, but I always felt that I was hard done by and I compared myself to them. But, you know, then 
when I started getting involved in table tennis, and in particular para table tennis, I started to see other guys with disabilities, disabilities much worse than my own. And you know, then I quickly realized how much that I had to be grateful for. And as I said, table tennis made me realize that for all the things that I couldn't do, there was a hell of a lot that I could do. And you know, there's a lot of people that could can do an awful lot less than me. And you know, when I think back to my first competition in Paris, you know, I remember, I remember seeing a guy uh, playing table tennis with no arms and no legs. He was playing with his mouth, and you know that that really struck a chord with me. You know, I, I I'd never seen somebody like that, and uh, you know, ever since then, I've I've thought back to that story that you know, no matter how difficult things are for me, or you know, no matter what I'm going through. There's, you don't have to look very far to, to see someone uh, an awful lot worse off. And I think uh, it's like what my uncle once told me. I think when the chips are down and when the cards are out on the table, um, you're very quick to take your own back. And uh, yeah, ever since I've seen that, I've, I've just been very grateful for what I have. You know, I have one arm. I could have been born with no arms and no legs. And yeah, no matter how difficult things are, there's so many people in the world that have it so much worse. And when I think of it like that, I just kind of put my head down and dig deep and get through whatever it is that I'm going through. It's, it's so, so advice for the 22-year-old or the 18-year-old who, whose life has been shut down at the moment and they haven't, not having those experiences that they thought they might be having. Is there anything simply you can say, guys and girls, listen, you know, here, here's here's how you might start. I'm just, you know, well, and, for, and for everybody, everybody's different because everybody isn't as, and you had a journey, obviously, to get to the philosophy and to accept it and build, make it, live it on a daily basis. Yeah, uh, well, I think some very good advice and something that I've had to really um, adhere to during the corona is, you know, to be active, to do, there, there might be a lot of, uh, a lot of different, uh, different things that you, you can't do, but, there's always something that you can do. And, you know, I, th I think my, my most difficult days are those days where I'm sitting in my room doing very little and feeling sorry for myself. And I think uh, if someone has too much time to think about themselves and their situation, yeah, they're going to find it very difficult. But if you plan out your day, you've a number of different things that you can do. And I know we're quite restricted at the moment, but I don't think you have to think, you don't have to think very hard to, you know, there's there's so so many opportunities out there. You know, there's so many courses online that you can upskill. There's you can listen to music, you can read, you can go out for a walk, you can do a workout. There are all things that are really important to me. And obviously, I'm very lucky to have a goal of the Paralympics. But you know, if I didn't do that, I'd always make sure that my day was full or as full as it could be. And I think that's that's another thing. I think you know. <laughs> If you if you overthink your situation, you can always feel sorry for yourself. There's always something that could be better, um, and so I think too much. It, it's good to have time to yourself, but I, I I would I would I think the best advice that I could give young people is to to be active. That doesn't mean you have to play a sport. Doesn't mean that you have to read a book, but I suppose it means that you you should find something that keeps you occupied. Um, physical and mental well-being I think it's hugely important and yeah that's probably the, the most practical advice that I could give for um, for someone who's who's struggling okay coming on to disability what's Ireland how do we 
Ireland as a nation, where do we where do we rank compared to the other countries you've been about if you're if you have a disability? Do you want to and, and I want to hear give it give it out as to what? Yeah, yeah, I think somewhere in the middle, I would say. Um, obviously, uh, accessibility is, is has improved a lot in this country, but I think still could be a lot better. Uh, there's a lot of uh, of buildings in the um, in the city that I can't access in my wheelchair. Um, the train is still an issue. There's no ramps on the train. That's just an example of accessibility. I get the train nearly every day, and I still need somebody to help me on. So that's obviously difficult for a disabled person. There's not always someone on hand to help. Um, I think the attitude, though, to disability is probably something that can can improve. I think, um, and I was very lucky, uh, you know, with with St. Michael's College and UCD and KPMG, they were hugely supportive of me. And there wasn't any sort of prejudice towards me because I was disabled. But, you know, I suppose I have a lot of friends with disabilities. And I know it's, it's very difficult for someone with a disability to get a job, for example. I think uh, there's that sort of stigma um, towards disabled people that because they're physically handicapped that they're maybe less mentally capable as well which is just it's not true at all and I think that that sort of attitude that old-fashioned attitude that you know sometimes I'd be on the bus and you know an old woman would, would come up to me and you know she would mean the best but you know she would say something like uh, God bless you or uh, or how do you do it or or things like this and you know, obviously she means that in the, in the best way possible, but that's, I suppose, a little bit condescending. And people with disabilities, uh, a lot of them would take that quite badly. And so I think, yeah, that's it's probably the attitude towards disability. And, you know, that's another thing that through my talks and hopefully my achievements at maybe the Paralympics and then getting back into actuary and, you know, my, I suppose my big hope is to achieve those goals and to show people that my disability hasn't uh, held me back and that um, despite being born with, with one arm and no legs, that I've still gone out there and given it everything and achieved everything that I said that I would. And other countries you've traveled to, who, who, who would you say just they've, they've got it or they, they, they've, they're provided for the, the, the support or make it easier or... or, or I don't think there's any country that has it perfect. Definitely not. I mean, I suppose, I think uh, there's less than 1% of the world with a, a disability. Um, so we're still very much a minority. Um, and worldwide, I think there's something that can be improved in every country. Obviously, countries like the US are extremely accessible, um, much more so uh, than Ireland. And obviously, the UK is very good as well. There's huge support for Paralympic athletes and people with a disability which obviously that can also be improved upon here. But yeah, I mean, I think Ireland, it's, it's, it's improving all the time on that issue, uh, on, on that. But I think there needs to be people like myself and um, my teammates on the Paralympic team. I think we all try and do, we all try and put ourselves out there and just show people that just because we're disabled, it doesn't mean that we can't do this, that or the other, that in actuality we can maybe do a lot more than an able-bodied person could. And so I don't think that we should be judged uh, based on how we were born or what's what's happened to us. I think we should be judged for how we show up. 
I suppose that's everybody has to show up, isn't that what it's about? Whether you're able-bodied or disabled, that's it. Uh, yeah, in that sense. And and tell me about your 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 was it you were in Shanghai playing? Was it last? Sorry, 20, 2019, wasn't it? Twenty nineteen. I got out of there just in time. Yes. <laughs> uh, t- t- tell me about that and just how like disabled sport is supported in in China and and just traveling there and getting off the plane and you know I I'm curious about you get off the plane it. There's some English, obviously, in your foreign country, and you've got to get from A to Z. It just brings a typical kind of because you you don't you, you don't have a team of people like uh, Roger Federer are are yeah. uh, around <laughs> you. It's it's you and 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 your wheelchair, your table tennis bats, your luggage, passport, and a few bob to get you through, and then you've got to navigate. Do you want to bring us through that? I'm I'm curious. To, yeah, well, my uh, trips to China they've been some of the best experiences that I've ever had, you know, not only from an independence point of view, uh, I think, you know, if, if someone had said to me, um, back when I was 12 or 13, that I'd be traveling to China on my own, I would have, I would have laughed at them. So I think the first thing is to say, you know, it shows that what's possible and I suppose how far I've came, uh, despite my disability. So I think the fact that I could even just go to China and come back, and uh, no disasters happen. I think that was a success in itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, from a table tennis point of view, it's uh, it's a different world, you know. Like uh, it's just mind-boggling <laughs> the amount of people that play table tennis, firstly, and the level that they play at. It's something to behold, really. Like I remember uh, my first day in Shanghai, I I, uh, I went down to one of the clubs. And, you know, the coaches, they started me <laughs> with uh, guys my age, you know, 25, 26. And I literally couldn't couldn't keep the ball on the table. Like, so fast, so powerful. I didn't know what had hit me. And so then I remember uh, in the second session, I was training with 12, 13-year-old girls that could barely see over the table. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was really struggling then as well. So uh, I think that just shows you the strength and depth and the... How important table tennis is over there like it's really I, I suppose i felt at home in one way but then i felt very alone in another like it, it's it is a very different culture like it's very they're very much tunnel vision and if you have any sort of talent or promise you're more or less locked locked away in a center and uh table tennis is your job for the for the foreseeable and you know obviously it's it's a, it's a different world over here but yeah, I feel like I learned a lot from the Chinese. You know that there is no no secret. That's probably the the, the most important thing that I realized. They don't do anything special. They just put the hard work in, um, and they do it on a different level to the rest of the world. And that's why they they've won ten times as many Olympic medals as any other country. Um, it's as simple as that. So yeah, it was an unbelievable experience from that point of view. And then. Obviously, seeing the the Great Wall and different Shannon uh, Shannon Square is that the name? Tiananmen. 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 Yeah, I should know that. Um, yeah, it was amazing from a tourist uh, point of view. Even though you know I won a bronze medal, so the Germans call me a tourist. It's, it's not. It's not completely true. I know I went to see the Great Great Wall, but I also won a medal. So <laughs> that's right. I, I, I sense once you you qualify for Tokyo and then you're on the podium. You'll be, uh, be sending a note to some Germans uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, about, uh, about being a tourist or not tourist. <laughs> I think it, it, just would you bring through your, your your training regime because I'm conscious that you've limited access. Uh, a because table tennis is a minority sport, 
and obviously, and then with, with lockdown, that's yeah. again. So I know you were, if, if I'm right, you were you were at home, and you practice. Is it a hundred serves? Oh, or, more or, less. <laughs> no, no, no. But at, at, at a go, you have you. Yeah, yeah, tell yeah. Me about about because it's all about table, like any racket sport. It's about the mistake you make, so it's to eradicate any chance of making a mistake. So how how do you do that? Just to, just give the listeners a sense of that forensic approach in training. Definitely, yeah. Well, the first thing I'd say, like obviously, I was very frustrated when the when the pandemic struck and I could no longer go to the club and train with my teammates. And you know, I suppose looking at it um, at the beginning, I thought, well, I I can't train for the foreseeable. I can't do anything really to improve my game. But uh, it turns out I was very very wrong. And probably uh, during the first lockdown, when I had absolutely no access to a table tennis club, that was probably the period where I improved the most. And it was more a mindset thing more than anything else. Uh, obviously, yeah, like I said, I, I got a table in my house and I practiced my serve, which is something that I always neglected because uh, I just find it very boring and not very enjoyable. But, you know, I quickly learned uh, how important ser- serve is in table tennis. It's the most important shot. And, you know, I really reaped the benefits when I when I did return to practice. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was really, really uh, boring at the start. But it's like anything. Once you start to see a little bit of progress, uh, suddenly you start to enjoy it a whole lot more. And so I was yeah, very regimented. I used to practice my serve for uh, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. It doesn't sound like a lot, but believe me, when all you're doing is hitting the ball, hitting the ball one way, for 20 minutes, it, it feels like a very, very long time. <laughs> and that's probably why I, I never bothered to do it um, pre, pre-COVID. But yeah, you know, I, yeah, like you said, I used, to, I used to take 100 balls. And, you know, I used to have little targets on the other side of the table. And uh, yeah, I could see day by day, literally, nearly always uh, improvement, you know, by one or two. And, you know, that's all it takes. And yeah, then by the, by the end of the pandemic, I was nearly I was nearly able to hit whatever spot on the table that I wanted to, and like that was something that I never thought, you know, never thought of doing or never wanted to do. But you know, now now that I can uh, train in the club, I'm very lucky to have the opportunity to tra- uh, continue my training. I always make sure to to serve for 15 minutes uh, every day, and so that's a big big lesson. Um, that I learned that sometimes it's the most simple things that uh, carry the most weight and are the most important and beneficial. Um, but another uh, thing that I really honed in on um, during the first lockdown was technical and tactical analysis. So uh, my coach and I would have always recorded my matches and maybe the matches of other players that I compete against. And we, we had all the videos <laughs> saved on our phone, but Life was too busy uh, pre-COVID, and I suppose we never really had the time to look at them in much detail. And so suddenly we had an, an awful lot of time, um, and yeah, we started watching the videos together on Zoom. And yeah, it's it's amazing how much I learned from that. Not only from my own point of view and my own technique and how I played and how I could play better, uh, but I also learned a lot about my opponents that I'd never really noticed before. Uh, it's amazing when you're when you're under that pressure and uh, you're so preoccupied with trying to trying to win, you forget about some of the most simple things. And so, yeah, I feel uh, those are two big things that um, have been hugely be- beneficial to me uh, coming out of uh, the pandemic. Uh, and I think that when I do get my opportunity to start competing again, I think they're 
things that will definitely stand to me. And so I suppose, yeah, the lesson or the thing that I'd like to say coming out of the pandemic, it's, it's always how you adapt to these situations and there's always going to be tough times and negatives, but you know, you have to try and turn them into a positive and make the most of every situation. And I think that's what I've done. I'm, I'm very happy with how I've uh, coped with the pandemic. I think I've made the most of the time and I'm feeling stronger than ever now uh, as we're coming to the end of it. That, that's great. And coming, so let's come. So the, uh, the Paralympics is going to be in September? Uh, yeah, beginning of August. Be- yeah, begin- be- on be- probably into s- September, yeah. Okay. So you come back with, with a medal. Hopefully gold. That's the plan. One, two. So then what happens for Colin after that? And I, I maybe I'm going to change the question. Colin leaving KPMG to Colin coming back with, with the medal. Um, what's changed? What, how have you grown? What's changed? Is it, how would you compare and contrast yourself? I think I've learned an awful lot about myself. Um, you know, uh, I suppose... Um, I've focused, I've really focused on myself during this pandemic. It's not only been positive from a table tennis point of view. I've also upskilled a lot in uh, different areas. My motivational speaking, um, I'm quite interested in digital marketing and sales. So I've done a lot of uh, courses around that. Uh, I've improved my Spanish, which is something I've uh, let go for many years and something that I'm very happy I've taken up again. Uh, I've reached out to um, a lot of my friends. Uh, we're closer than we ever were before. I think uh, pre-COVID, uh, nobody really had time for anything or if that was certainly the way for me. And, you know, I wouldn't have talked to a lot of my very close friends in a long time, but now we always keep in touch. And yeah, I, I think probably the last thing I'd say is um, my hobbies. I've really focused on that because you know, we obviously all have a lot of time during this pandemic. Um, and, you know, even though I love table tennis, I train 15 to 20 hours every week. And uh, sometimes I do get sick of it and quite frustrated and start to hate it in, in some ways. But uh, I think uh, the, the pandemic has made me understand the importance of balance. And uh, so, yeah, I've really, I've tried to make my day as full as I, uh, as possible. Uh, I've, I always like to listen to music, read my book, uh, go out to push my wheelchair. I've swam in the sea. I always try and do different things that I enjoy that aren't table tennis. And so, and then the effect that that has is that I'm a lot more energized. I enjoy my table tennis a lot more. And when it does come, come down to, to practice, then I'm, I'm ready for it and I give it my all and then I switch off again. Great. And I'm going to ask you a couple, couple of sub-questions. So what's your favorite food? Favorite food? Pizza. Pizza. Not very healthy uh, for an athlete, but sure. What can you do? It's nice. What, are, what <laughs> about socializing? What's the, your favorite? So, how to socialize? Well, I suppose now my favorite would be uh, to, to go for a, a walk in the park. But uh, yeah, my favorite thing to do before, uh, before the pandemic would have been very different to that. But uh, yeah, I, I still, you know, I, I suppose I would, before the pandemic, I, I loved going out for a point, even though as an athlete, it's not something that I get to, I get to do very often. But um, yeah, I suppose going out to the park, there's advantages to that when it's not raining or windy or cold, and which it often is. But uh, that's something, 
it's healthier and uh, yeah, yeah something and, like and I know you love your swimming so I know you used to do your swimming you used to do lots which is, and now you're you have been were swimming a little bit in the sea uh, the sea and, and I know yes. you did you have a maybe slightly difficult swim am I allowed to ask about that oh, one, God, one of them yeah. did I, I told you about that James didn't I yeah yeah I forgot that I told you yeah I had, an, I, I had an incident there during the summer the water was so cold and you know I went out very far because you know I kind of fancied myself as a good swimmer and there, was, there wasn't a bother until I until I got out of the water and I I felt like I'd had 10 po- points I nearly collapsed the colour just went from my face I couldn't heat up I felt dizzy don't know what happened to me. They had to cover me. The lifeguard had to rush over to me and cover me in tin foil. And I, you know, and the next thing, I woke up in about an hour's time, and I was fine. I had about three cups of coffee, and I went home. But yeah, after that, I said, I, I'll never go swimming again without a wetsuit. <laughs> so that's really made a difference. Uh, okay. So, so you you, you you do know some of your limits now. Oh, absolutely. I've I've always known uh, that I have limits. I just mm. tend to ignore them sometimes, and that's probably not a not a good thing to do. <laughs> well, maybe maybe all of us are a bit comfortable around limits sometimes. So I think yeah, there's a balance that's the inside me, you know. <laughs> there's a balance, but but Colin, I'm conscious of your your time. I really want to thank you so yes. much for 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 speaking to to me and obviously to listeners. And we will be rooting for you uh, come come August. Uh, fingers crossed. And then really looking forward to see what's next in uh, post uh, para uh, Olympic uh, Paralympic champion. Uh, and what 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 is at, at twenty five? You have a lot of your life uh, uh, to to live going forward. Absolutely, James. Thanks so much for having me, uh, and I'm looking forward to the next time. Hopefully, we can do an, an, another interview uh, post Tokyo, and I might have more to talk about, more short stories to share. Well, I, I absolutely, be delighted to do that. This is Colin. Thanks very much. Really appreciate Thank you, you James. Coming Thanks for listening. Okay. Thank you for listening to The Career Scoop, brought to you by Elevate Career Advice and Elevate Executive Selection, Dublin and Bermuda. I'm James Fitzsimons, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. Join us next week for another great episode of The Career Scoop. Hope to see you there. <laughs>